Nobody likes being told they're wrong, especially when it's about something that they truly care about, or if they think it's something they know a lot about. When it comes to writing books, though, shouldn't the person who's writing the book be considered an expert on the topic with which they are writing? In this particular episode of The Writer's Lens, I take a closer look at this concept of what does it take to gain credibility? And perhaps even more so, do you have to be an expert in order to write the book that you're writing? This is Josh J.C. Alfelto for The Writer's Lens, and this is episode 41. Hey guys, welcome back to The Writer's Lens. I'm Josh J.C. Alfelto. This is episode 41, which is, do I have to be an expert on the topic of my book in order to write it? So this is the second episode now in my publication journey, uh, this new series that I've been doing uh, from start to finish on writing my second book, The Shadow of Mars. So if you missed the first one, I was really just kind of detailing what is it like to get an idea out of your head and get it on to paper or rather what are some helpful steps i think that you can employ to start doing that uh, having written now a novel uh, 375 pages worth and uh, several other short stories and, and publications over the last six years i've got a little bit of i think credibility in the experience department as far as figuring out how to work best uh, not saying i'm an absolute expert at it but i think i've i've done enough at this point where i can see what works and what doesn't. So if you want to catch the episode, feel free to uh, head back and do so. But for this one, this is maybe not the most logical thing to think about after your initial idea and, and starting to, to cultivate that idea. Because unless we're in the self-help industry or perhaps you're writing a book on the nature of gravity or something like that, doesn't it seem fitting that we ought to be at least somewhat of an expert on whatever it is that we're talking about in our book? And I think this is a, a, an imperative question that you have to ask yourself before you actually start writing your story. Because I think as a fiction writer, there's a little more leeway. And as a nonfiction writer, there's not a lot of leeway. And I'll, and I'll get into that in this episode. But I, I wanted to start off with a good example and a bad example of this. So we'll, we'll start with the good first because I always like good news first. The good example I would use in an instance of being an expert is uh, one of my first interviews that I did here on The Writer's Lens was with uh, two friends of mine, Willie and Rachel Scott, who are the co-founders of the Better Than Blended uh, organization in Northeast Ohio. And what Willie and Rachel do is they assist blended families to become better at uh, learning how to navigate some of the challenges that blended families may face in light of more traditional families where mom and dad have been together for a long time and there, maybe there's a couple of kids and you know things like that. Their specific ministry deals with, you know, uh, one first time divorces or you know moms with a with a baby that bring in a child into a relationship with a, a guy who may have two kids of his own how do you navigate that you know and how do you navigate being a blended family so the interesting thing is is that Willie and Rachel are actually a blended family themselves and they decided to self publish and uh, do their own book and workbook called better than blended about their own 
journey and their own experience with being a blended family. And the interesting thing was, is that when I interviewed Willie and Rachel about this, this topic of what they decided to go forth in this entrepreneurial venture was, did you guys have any mentors? Did you have anyone that you could kind of follow the blueprint of to figure out how you write this book and how you come up with these ideas to, to help blended families? And Rachel's answer was emphatically, no, there was nobody. But <laughs> as frustrating as that was for them trying to find a mentor or someone that could help them, uh, Rachel made it very clear that sometimes you have to be able to walk through something in order to turn around and give people some advice or some wisdom on how to actually navigate a lot of the challenges that are associated with living in a blended family situation. So good example there of if you're going to write a book, if you're going to write a story of some kind, having some experience on the topic is paramount. And in their case, they were able to do that. So congrats, Willie and Rachel, on, on writing uh, your book, Better Than Blended, and walking through that and now being able to turn around and help other blended families. So on to the bad example. Let's, let's get to the bad example now because, you know, I, I got to give the other side of the coin. And I'm going to use myself because I, I'm, I'm not against self-deprecation on this podcast for the sake of, of learning and moving forward and, and maybe giving other people who listen to this a bit of a, something to hold against me. So... So the bad example would be myself when about six years ago, well, more like seven at this point, I started writing a series of essays for a book series I was planning to do called Epiphanies, Theories, and Downright Good Thoughts. And what I wanted to do with this book series was essentially have epiphanies and theories and thoughts centered around a different topic. So it could be anything. And my first book idea was around the idea of playing video games. Because my generation, you know, me being an elder millennial, I'm 33 at the time of this podcast, one of the things that I grew up with was video games. The video game industry exploded when I was going into my early teens, or even before that, I would even argue, probably when I was around 8 or 9, maybe 10 years old, video games just exploded on the market. And they're, they're still relatively huge, but, but then it was a, new, a newer venture. So here was my idea, you know, I'm going to write all this satire, I'm going to have all these great thoughts, I'm going to have all these really uh, cool epiphanies from writing through the, through the guise of a, of a video game player. And some of the topics included uh, trying to debunk evolution, which I still maybe think I could possibly do, but, but, but trying to do that through the idea of, of looking at my game systems and how they gradually changed over time or trying to come up with the reasons why sex sells so well and trying to talk about you know why online game playing is so significant as opposed to playing by yourself like you used to and how the arcades are going away and all kinds of stuff and it was really fun i mean i on the on the bright side it was a fun thing to do i i, I had some fun with it and some people said it was humorous who bought the book and read it other people were like josh what is this this is really strange. And the reason why I got a lot of the, the latter asking me those questions was because I really didn't know enough about the topics that I was talking about. I literally would sit around and think of these ideas. I'd write them down and I would consult with no one. I would not ask anybody for any help whatsoever. I would just basically say, this is my idea. It's in a vacuum and I'm going to write about it. Boom, done. And I would do a little bit of research on the internet perhaps, but the idea of actually interviewing and talking to people who knew what they were talking about prior to me getting into these difficult 
topics or concepts was just not on my radar. And that really came back to bite me in the rear end because I went back and reread some of the things I talked about and it was like, Josh, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> you don't really know what you're talking about in many of these many of these essays. And not that I was trying to be super serious, but but the point is is that if you're going to do something like that and you want to be seen as credible and you want to be taken seriously, even if it's humorous, doing the research means a lot. Sounding like an authority on the subject matter means a lot. It means a ton to your prospective audience because no one's going to listen to you if they immediately realize that you're full of garbage or full of crap. I mean, some people might for, for the sheer entertainment value, but in terms of gaining a followership or gaining an audience that people want to invest their time in or give you their time, because it's a very valuable thing to people, even though they, if they consciously realize that or not, you have to establish a rapport that you are credible with your audience. And this was something I just, I wasn't taking very seriously in the early days because I thought, again, you know, I'm 24, 25 at the time. I know everything. Clearly, I know everything. I have got my own car. I'm paying off my student loans. I've got a nice job. I, I know what I'm doing, right? I totally have it together, just like every other person did in their mid-20s. I just, this, there's just no stopping me, right? There's just no stopping this guy. But, but clearly, that was, that was just not true, okay? That just was not a true statement looking back on it. But, but good experience for me so I could learn what not to do. Because we live in the age of the Google heroes, the keyboard warriors, people that very quickly can Google your idea or Google your statement and find out A, if someone's done it before, or B, if you really are full of crap and your idea doesn't really line up with what is either factual or what the consensus seems to say about your your idea. So. So that was the bad example, the bad example of, of trying to be a person of credibility and an expert on a particular subject that I'm writing about. So that's the first part of it. Now, since I've shifted from being a nonfiction writer to a fiction writer, does this still hold the same weight? This is, this is the big question now. Even if I'm writing science fiction, even if I'm writing fantasy, do I still have to adhere to this concept that I have to be an expert in whatever it is that I'm, I'm writing about? And this is where it can get a little bit murky because it's fiction, okay? It's, it's, it's inherently not true. It could be based on real people. It could be based on similar events or settings perhaps. But all in all, these are fake people. These are fake environments. These are fake scenarios. None of this has actually happened except inside your head. But does that negate the fact that you have to at least know what you're talking about? And I would say the answer to this question is really a yes and no statement, and, and I'll tell you why. Well, first of all, there is a yes to this because you have to be able to prove again to your audience that you know what you're doing. Uh, Andy Weir, who wrote uh, The Martian a few years back and ended up getting that movie deal and Matt Damon was in it. And I actually enjoyed the film very much. I never, I never read the book or I haven't read the book yet. But what Andy did that was so impressive is that he did a ton of research uh, into just, you know, interplanetary travel and studying botany for the sake of growing potatoes on a foreign planet. What would it take to do these kinds of things? So at the end of the day, when he, he writes essentially Castaway in Space, 
he has a really good foundation of ideas and hopefully scientific fact that he can run with, even if it is a science fiction, even if it is a completely fictional tale that we are not yet familiar with, this idea of someone walking around on on Mars uh, and having to live off uh, you know, created fertile soil on the middle of the planet. So this was not an overnight process as much as uh, I think all of the Google heroes out there would like it to be. I mean, writing a book and trying to become the expert on it is extremely difficult. But if you have enough passion for this project as, as much as Andy did, and what he wanted to do was, I want to know as much about this as I can. And though I can't sit here and say that every bit of his scientific analysis of uh, what it would look like uh, to live on Mars for an extended period of time, was it 100% accurate? Probably not, considering we've never actually done this thing before. But did he do a lot of the legwork? Did he attract the attention of people that would say, hey, this actually sounds at least somewhat feasible, and it sounds imaginative enough that we're going to give it a try. And that led to the success of The Martian. So, you know, kudos to Andy for that, uh, for him being able to pull that off. So, so this is what it takes as an author, as a writer, to go the extra mile and really show your audience that this is what uh, you're investing in. Now... All this being said, trying to establish rapport with your audience to be a bit of an expert, having a little bit of background on the on the topic. This even extends to fantasy novels. Okay, this would even extend to fantasies like Lord of the Rings or uh, sort of the Dark Elf. I think it was like a Dark Elf series that I, I might be just making that up, but I'm sure there is one. <laughs> the the Harry Potter series, for instance. These all still have rules within them. There's still rules being governed by the author. Rowling and Tolkien made up rules for their stories that they have to abide by. They can't just be making them up as they go. Fantasies such as this still have to create some kind of framework and blueprint for what they're going to communicate to their readers so that the readers don't get lost in the shuffle of what on earth is going on. I think this can seem like a difficult thing, but I would I would also challenge anybody that wants to write fantasy or wants to write science fiction, read the things that are similar to your chosen genre or your chosen topic that you're going to be writing about. I mean, one of the one of the things I've been trying to do with my Shadow of Mars book is I've been trying to read as much space drama as I possibly can. I mean, I'm going through C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy right now, and it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's good. It's a, it, a good book so far, but I'm reading sci-fi because I write sci-fi. And by reading how other authors who have established themselves with rules or good sets of rules, and they've created terminology that is familiar in some sense, if you're a science fiction junkie, I can follow along that same vein, and it doesn't mean I'm copying anybody. It just means that I'm becoming familiar and becoming better, hopefully, at communicating the world with which my characters are now inhabiting. And I'm I'm following again not the same exact story, uh, you know, arc or trend or whatever it might be, but I'm becoming better at understanding what is it that my audience might expect from me. So by emulating those that have been successful. 
I can then in turn hopefully be successful myself by seeing some of the, I don't want to say tricks of the trade, but just ways that they might present their material. And it, it can expand my vocabulary. It could make me learn some new tricks on, on, on the way uh, my own style is developing as a writer. There's tons of advantages to reading the great novelists, okay, to reading people that are in your specific uh, niche or genre of writing. So that will also establish a bit of a rapport with the audience because chances are if someone's reading a story by one author, then they're going to find a similar author or they're going to find similar topics that they like to read about. I mean, the fact that I'm jumping from Lewis to Stevenson and I just got done reading uh, Pierce Brown's Red Rising trilogy uh, has made me very curious to go back to my Ender series with Orson Scott Card and also see other stuff that he's, that he's written. I mean, you don't have to just stay on one author. I mean, you're going to jump across the spectrum, but you might be reading similar topics. And that, again, I think is a great way of just kind of seeing how people who do it well continue to do it well. So you are reading up on them. And by, again, emulating some of the things that they do, you yourself can find can find a way to find uh, some, some kind of measure of success in that. So, so that will establish yourself as more of a credible source for your potential audience. And that works with fiction, and that works with nonfiction, which I talked about earlier, because yes, you you may or may not need to be an absolute expert on the field of fiction that you're, that you're studying, but you need to have some foundation. You need to have some groundwork. I mean, if you're writing a thriller in Chicago, it's probably a good idea that you went to Chicago and learned where all the back alleys are, uh, preferably probably not at night. Uh, to go searching around there or having uh, an idea of how it's mapped out there in the city. I mean, if you're you're writing a story uh, about the Bermuda Triangle, it probably would be a good idea to research everything that's happened around the Bermuda Triangle rather than just going, wow, that's a really crazy, intriguing uh, historical place where planes have gone missing. I'm just going to write a story and do whatever the heck I want. To a person that is interested in the Bermuda Triangle, they would want to read your story and go, oh, this person has done some research. They've actually cared enough to go read other things before actually writing the story completely on a, uh, on a whim or on a, on a fictional note or, or what have you. That makes people who read your stuff want to tell other people to read your stuff. And that's kind of the, the end note that I want to get to on this episode is that by, by doing the legwork and showing that you care enough about the topic that you're writing about, by becoming kind of the the quasi expert of your field or your genre or whatever it is that you're doing, people take notice of that. They they take note of that almost instinctively when they're reading your material. I mean, it was uh, you know I, I was really harping on myself earlier about my video games book, but it was funny how people would ask me questions about my video game playing, and they'd say, "This was a funny story, Josh." Uh, you know, I never really played games that much, but I can tell that you did. I mean, that speaks volumes to a writer because that's, that tells me that I adequately and accurately conveyed the emotions of what I was going through to that person. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's one of the goals that you want to have as a writer with whatever it is that you're writing about. You want to be able to uh, convey to your audience. You want to be able to project to your audience this as accurate a picture, but also giving them some imagination of their own to play with of what it is your vision looks like. 
to them so that they can play around with it and be entertained or be educated by by whatever it is that you've that you've made in your own head. So so that's really what the the basis of this episode was about was to establish this idea that when we do sit down and we have our idea and we're going to go through it and we're going to sit down and really take our time to make a great uh, end product or end you know end of the project uh, when we're writing a book we do need to sit down and do the research we should read up the greats of the of the similar area and become more familiarized with it because that's going to impress our audience that's going to make our audience go okay this guy he or guy or gal actually cares about the what it is that they're writing about enough that they're going to go out and read about it they're going to become better versed in it and that establishes the credibility that establishes the rapport uh, with your audience and, and can only grow your base because then they're going to want to tell other people uh, based upon you know what you've what you've given to them so so just some things to think about there uh, uh, guys but um oh but one last story to that uh, to that effect I, I was at a book signing event about a week and a half ago now here in Cleveland and on this topic of being an expert, I had a guy, and this never fails uh, whenever I do these kinds of things. And you know, my book, my first book, The Road to Mars, I got, I got it there, and it's, it's, it says it's a novel on the front page. It doesn't say that it's a, an actual exploratory adventure, but, but uh, I, it never fails to have someone come up to me and 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 ask this very familiar question: What's it like being on Mars, and do you have the answer to get there? And I always have to say, Well, you just have to buy the book and read it. That's always my answer to anyone that asks me that question. <laughs> it's, uh, you'll just have to read it, and you'll have to buy it from me in order to to find out if if the road there is is actually what I say it is. So, uh, again, just uh, a little bit of hopefully a little bit of humor there for you here to to wrap up this episode, everyone. So, so thanks for checking out this episode. I hope some some good tidbits to take from this as we're working through this publication journey. A uh, little update then on my my publishing journey here with The Shadow of Mars. I am almost complete with the second read-through of The Shadow of Mars. And man, this has been quite an arduous process. I am so many months behind on where I thought I would be in 2018. Uh, and I'll share some of that uh, in future episodes. So uh, definitely stick around for that. I w- I'm going to talk a little bit over the next few episodes beyond this concept of the idea and then, you know, doing the research that you need to do prior to actually publishing the book because there's so many in-between steps. I mean, there's just so many things that that you do as a writer, as an author, that can A, uh, be beneficial for you, or B, really trip you up and just send you veering down the path of, I'm never going to finish this thing. Why am I even bothering with this? I'll never get it done. But I, but I want to be that person that tells you on this episode, like, you can do it. Okay, you can get through it. You can finish this. You can finish the race that you started. Uh, but uh, again, it's it's going to take the legwork. It's going to take some research. It's going to take a lot of patience on your own part with your own self. Uh, and again, just uh, creating those good habits that uh, we talked about in the last episode. So anyway, guys, I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode uh, here on The Writer's Lens. And in the meantime, uh, as I always do, like, share, subscribe if you know anyone else out there who's a creative or an aspiring writer that may uh, benefit from uh, listening in on this and kind of dream, uh, joining me along this journey. Uh, I'd love to have them come along with me on this. Uh, so until next time, guys, this is Josh J.C.L. Felter for The Writer's Lens. 
and I will catch you at the end later. Bye.